you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and you can go ahead and make your way to chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As you're headed there, I want you to imagine with me two different scenarios. Scenario number one, you go to the doctor. Just a regular checkup, right? That regular checkup, you get all good marks, right? Some of you are like, ooh, hadn't had one of those in a while. Uh, right, where there's no high cholesterol, you're not even taking any extra medicine, there's no, no uh, overweight, no too much sugar, no, like you are on point, right? You've, you've kind of hit a, hit a stride and the doctor is like, good job. So you walk out of there and it feels good, right? And you get a good report from the doctor, says yes, Nobody else likes good reports from the doctor? Okay, so uh, this, is, this is a good thing. That's scenario one. Good report from the doctor. Scenario number two. You go to the doctor and you don't get a good report. In fact, it's unbeknownst to you. Uh, it's not just about cholesterol or sugar or heart rate. You, you, get, you hear the word that you always dreaded hearing, right? You hear cancer. And he tells you, this doesn't look good. Time frame you have doesn't look like it's going to be that long. And just the, the weight of all of those thoughts running through your head, the heaviness that's there. He says, I, I need you to come back in a week. And so, that whole week is, right, surely it's heavy. Every day you're talking with your family, you're trying to process what you've just heard. You come to the doctor, you had no idea that that was even gonna be the thing that you heard. And, and so that whole week, you got, you're kind of just telling a few people and you're, you're asking them to pray for you and you're saying like, this is really heavy, this is really hard. I got really bad news. You get back the next week, the doctor comes in the room and instead of being as, as expected, somber and uh, maybe even equally heartbroken, he comes in with a big smile on his face and your, your smile is not there. You feel a little uncomfortable and he says, I've got good news. It's gone. I mean, it, it was here and it's gone. You, we had every evidence said you had cancer, like the kind that would take your life and now you're hearing it's gone. Which one of those times that you leave the room, do you have a greater sense of joy? The second one, right? This one had good news, didn't it? This one's good. You walk out, no problem. No cancer, no cholesterol, no whatever. Everything's fine. This one, you went from dying to living. You went from Right? Like, this is it. Closed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. What, how long am I going to have to, I, I'm okay. 
right? Just the, the type of, of joy that takes place in going from not just good news, but hearing bad news first. Part of what we're going to hear today is that. We're going to hear really how the gospel is good news because we know about the bad news, not just because it's good. In light of this story, the, the bad news that you hear first. So let's, let's go ahead and read the text from Ephesians chapter 2. It starts out, you were dead the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has lavished on us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's, let's continue reading. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's a lot to, to try to uh, wrestle with this morning. But I want you to know a few things about the letter, right? This is a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. 
uh, it's helpful to know that Ephesus was a huge city, epicenter of really the, the worship of the Greek gods, false gods. If you want to see more of Paul times in, Paul's time in Ephesus, you can go to Acts chapter 19, read some of that there. In chapters one through three of Ephesians, so right where we're kind of in the middle of, right? This is Paul telling the gospel story. Uh, unpacks it really well, both in chapters one, then he explains more of it in chapter two, then even describes the mystery of the gospel in chapter three. But in, in chapters four through six, that really tell our story. So you've got gospel story and then our story, how that plays out for us. And you, you think about unity. You think about chapter uh, five in particular as being imitators of God and, and what it looks like to be a wife and a husband in a Christ-exalting marriage, what it looks like to be parents in chapter six, what it looks like then at the finality of this is this armor of God and how we are to dress for the battle day in and day out, what this is supposed to look like. And so if we're going to know the gospel, then we can live the gospel. This is what Ephesians is really all about. Paul uses this letter to the church at Ephesus to summarize the gospel and then to see how it reshapes our story. I want us to try to, to do that specifically using chapter two and, and keeping in mind this good news or this bad news and then good news We'll start with the bad news. There is a grave in our past. For those of us who are followers of Christ, and you need to hear that clearly, that if you have chosen to follow Christ, I, I think about the testimony we heard earlier, where she said, like, I've, I've surrendered to him. If you have chosen to follow Christ, this is your story, that, that there is a grave in your past behind you. So this is who you are before Christ. Right? In fact, thinking of some of the, uh, the statements that are made here that describe the, the grave before, we, I use that word because of verse one. See, we were dead in sin. You know what dead means? Dead. I guess not that's it. It means you were dead, not alive. Right? There's not a, like a real creative definition here. It means that you weren't alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people, by the way, cannot save themselves. Ever thought of that? Like, this is, this is what's so critical for us to know about who we were before Christ or who some of you in this room might even be now. This is not a scenario in which you were kind of falling and grasping for something to hold on to. And so, oh, I'm so glad I found Christ. Or that you're drowning in the ocean and, and you're just waving, flailing your arms, calling out, somebody save me, rescue me. You. you get somebody to throw you a lifesaver or a life raft or a boat comes by and his, the boat's name is Jesus. This is not that analogy. This, this is that you were not just kind of dying. You and I were dead. Like we couldn't call out because we, we don't have breath. We drown at the bottom of the ocean, not drowning, needing a life raft. 
What we need is for someone to reach in, go to the bottom of the ocean and pull us out and bring us to life because dead people cannot save themselves. We were dead in our sin. What, what, what is a result? It's like he starts there and then continues to say, what is a result of being dead in your sin? Well, we were following the world. Look at verse two. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, verse one. Verse two, in which you once walked following the course of this world. I don't know if you pay much attention to the course of the world, course of the world, the path that's set out for the world is not a good one. This is not a, a compliment. It's not a, a comment about of positivity saying, good job, you're following the world. This is saying, problem, you followed the world. Yeah, it's a, it's a wider road. The way may seem to be smooth at times, but it's the wrong road. It's the wrong path. Following the course of this world is looking like world. In fact, in fact, I just think about things that are even happening today in our world. And I, I think about redefining terms. I think about scenarios in which words seem to no longer matter. Well, the world has, has redefined manhood and womanhood, redefined words like marriage. I don't know about you, but words matter. We've chosen their, their definitions, so we don't, we don't just get to change definitions. And following the world means that you follow that same path. You just find yourself redefining things making it more convenient for you to continue to be dead in sin. We were dead in sin. We were following the world. What else? What else? Who else were we following? We were following the devil. Satan himself, in fact, gets a unique title here in verse two, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. We don't like to think this way, do we? Even in thinking about, like, if we're, if we're believers, we don't like to ever think that you ever followed the prince of the power of the air. But I need you to hear this. There is for and there is against. There is following Christ and there is following the enemy following the devil, following the prince of the power of the air. There isn't following Christ and then maybe like slight alterations from that until then the really, really wicked people over here, they were following the devil, but all of the people on the chart kind of in between, they were just kind of not completely following Christ. Listen, there's, there's following Christ and everything else goes into following the devil category. And some of you, some of you in this room right now are in this category. And you're dead. 
And I am pleading with God that, that right now, your spirit, that his spirit would move in you, that you would right now turn from your sin and follow Christ. Because we were following the world, we were following the devil, and we were children of wrath. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh. That means doing what we wanted more than what Christ wanted. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Just doing whatever pleased us. This is the most selfish. This is who we are. By nature then, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. You, you think, okay, like, if I, like I just said, there is this one category. Following Christ. And everything else that you put in the category is following the ways of the world. It is following the enemy. And as a result, we deserve to be children of wrath. It's by nature. That means that we were born into sin. This is a key theological point for us, church. Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I, I came into the world as a sinner. This is interesting, right? When I, when I think about the, the weightiness of this kind of statement, this kind of grave in our past, this kind of bad news, I think for so many of us, We've grown up in a culture, surrounding culture maybe, I would say like, just, it's like, get out of it. Work harder. You can do it. Dream more. Study more. Do more. Think about phrases that we've, for some reason, actually begun to believe are in Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. Ever heard that phrase? Not in the Bible. Now, ancient Greeks said that. And current Americans say that. But it's not in the Bible. This emphasizes the opposite. Because of these two words. Verse four, but God. Here's who we were. Here's who we were. We were dead. And our death was leading us to, to follow the things of this world, the way of the world. Our death was leading us to follow the, the prince of the power of the air and to be called children of wrath. The very wrath of God was being poured out on us, ready to, to envelop us and and. Yet, there's nothing we can do but God. Now, again, go back with me to how we started. Our two, our two different stories, right? You come over here and you hear, you, you start this. If you start at verse four, you start with God did such a great thing and everything's healthy and fine. And you're like, yeah, let's live in that. But if you remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, not breathing, needing life to be brought to you. And then you get to verse four and you hear, but God, that doctor does come in with a smile on his face, doesn't he? 
Because he's telling you, hey, there was really bad news. You were following the devil, and now, now, there's grace. That amazing grace we sang of, that mercy that we want to embrace more and more and more, we get to say, but God, there is grace in our present. See, there is, there is a grave in our past, but there is grace in our present. This is who you are because of Christ. If all of that first three verses was who you are before Christ, then these next few verses is really who you are because of Christ. So listen carefully. If you are a follower of Christ, do not check out right here and be like, oh, good. I've already got the but God part. Like, I'm good. Uh, I'll see you at the end of the sermon, right? No, no, like, listen carefully. If you are not a follower of Christ and you are still living in your trespasses and sins, then hear this. Listen carefully because this is your answer. We are given his love. Verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Anytime I think of the love of God for people, I think of John 3, 16. Right, it's one of the most famous verses of all time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. Forgiven his love. He loved you that much. word mercy, it's interesting in some languages, there isn't a differentiation between grace and mercy. We have that differentiation both in Greek and in English. Grace and mercy. Grace is getting something good that we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting something bad that we do deserve. So we deserved to be children of wrath, right? We deserved the wrath of God. Verse three, but what we get instead by, because he is rich in mercy. This is who he is. What does he give us? He gives us love instead. Deserve wrath, get love. Talk about opposites, right? Deserve eternal death, get eternal life. We are provided new life. Look at verse five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Then he adds this, by grace you have been saved. Did I say this already? That I know I did, but that dead people can't save themselves? You were dead. You were not alive. It is by his grace that you are given, you are provided the opportunity to have new life. Oh, how I wish that we would all live our lives with this fresh on our mind. Death to life. This isn't a slight 
comparison, contrast. This is drastic. We are given his love. We are provided new life. And as a part of his grace in our present, we are created for good. Remember the the verse I said I wanted us to memorize, not just read each week, but to, to memorize this month during June? Go to verse 10. We are created for good, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is is helpful to know, okay? Even even catch the pattern, the, the way in which this is written. Works are not causality for salvation. They are evidence of salvation. You cannot, I cannot earn salvation. Otherwise, it's not grace. And, and we, we know this in the, in the traditional Southern church. We have heard this a lot. Like grace, we sing amazing grace, right? We know that grace, we've been saved by grace. It's on t-shirts, all kinds of stuff. It's on a mug, it's on a pen, on a bumper sticker, whatever. Like we, we, we believe this and still for some reason, like we wonder if we should do more to earn his favor. But really what Christ is saying here is, should we work for the glory of God? Yes. But we don't work to earn earn the favor of God. It's two different things. Do we work because we're so overwhelmed by the grace of God in our life that we want to do whatever it takes, not only to to make that grace known to the world, but we want to do whatever it takes to serve him, to honor him, to follow him, whatever his command is. Yes, we want to do your command, not to get salvation, but because you saved us because you've radically, drastically, forever changed my life. You took me from drowning at the bottom of the ocean to alive. I went from death to life. Yeah, I'll do whatever it is you ask me to do. In fact, if one of you were to rescue me, I'd probably feel like I owed you a favor. Like, Gloria, I'll make you some cinnamon rolls or something. I don't know. Like, something would happen in, in your benefit because you rescued me. And then the God of all creation rescues us from eternity in hell. And we're like, uh, I don't know if I want to tithe this month. I don't know how I feel about being a little bit inconvenienced in the timing of Sunday. Sundays is kind of busy for me, so I don't know how I feel about that. No, we're created by him, for him. And so he rescues us to give him more glory. Our lives then reflect that we want, we want to do more for him, not, not so that we are rescued by him, but because we are rescued by him. This is what salvation is about, right? When I, when I think about, like, we are created for good. 
We're designed for the good and the glory of God. So there is grace in our present. But there is also glory in our future. Sometimes when we hear the gospel presented, we hear about the, the two options of life after death. Appropriately, there are two, heaven and hell. And that's, it might even be all that's presented in, in such a way almost that, that we skip the verses we just read Forget about the grace in the present and jump just to, hey, you don't want to go to hell, so make sure you go to heaven. And we're not going to do a raising of hands here, but I have a feeling if I were to ask you if that was the first way you heard the gospel, a lot of us would raise our hands. A lot of us, when, even as we were kids, that was the thing we were taught. Hey, like, look, boys and girls, don't go to hell. Let's go to heaven. And by the way, that's true. I want all of you, whether listening uh, at your house or in this room right now, I want all of us to be in heaven together, no doubt, and none of us to be in hell. But there is this grace in the present. There's something that God provides for us even right now. And so I don't want to jump so quickly to there's glory in our future that you guys just ignore all the stuff we just talked about, about grace in our present and living for Christ now. Because here's what that leads to. That leads to us pushing our Christianity to heaven. If that's really all that we were surrendering for was for what we will get when life begins after death, right? I want to say like, then, then we can also ignore everything because man, God's grace is not gonna let me leave I'm not going to lose my salvation, right? So if all we look to is the future, we ignore all that God's called us to do now, the created for his workmanship, right? So I do want to get there, but I want to make sure everybody grasps that. And this isn't just about heaven or hell, but it is about heaven and hell. There's glory in our future. What does that glory look like? According to these verses, we are raised. Verse 6, right? Raised us up with him. By grace you have been saved, verse 5, and raised us up with him. In fact, let's read all of verse 5 and 6. Listen, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. In fact, you can kind of skip just for a moment. Maybe yours has like a little hyphen there, a dash per Imagine that's parentheses. So it says, uh, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. This is what he's done. He's raised us up with him, raised us with Christ. These believers remember hearing that Jesus ascended into heaven. They've, they've heard this wasn't that long ago. Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again and then raised, he was ascended. There is future resurrection for the believers because of Jesus' resurrection. Because Jesus lived and died and came back to life, there is life 
eternal offered to you. We're raised and we are seated. Still in that verse. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This, this seated phrase is really speaking to a permanency. The idea that this isn't, that it's not a fleeting idea of heaven, that it'll last for a little while and then it'll go away. You were raised and then maybe you're gonna die again. No, 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 no. Raised and seated. So why, why would God lavish such precious love on people to, to seat them in this way for all eternity? The ESV Study Bible said this this way, so that they, being those of us who are seated at, in heaven, will marvel for all of eternity over the incredible kindness and love of God. It will take all of eternity to fathom God's love. Those who are saved will never plumb the depths of it. Eternity is really hard to grasp, isn't it? Forever. So when I, when I ponder not just existing forever, but trying day in and day out for all of eternity to grasp the vast love of God. No, I will never get to the bottom of that ocean. We're raised, we're seated, and we are saved. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace not only provides salvation, it secures salvation. This is not, this is not your doing, right? It is our response. I want to be very clear here. For those of you who are here today who have never called upon the Lord and you're saying, well, I don't have to do anything. You keep saying dead people can't save themselves. You're exactly right. I need you to hear this. Grace is given. We're saved by grace through faith. We must respond when, when the Lord brings us up out of that drowning out of the ocean. We have to breathe. And in this we have to call upon the one who is breathing life into us and ask him, save me. Redeem me. Secure me for all of eternity. Keep me in your grasp. We're saved, not just today. You're saved, not just today, but you're saved for all eternity. In fact, when I think about the way I've phrased this, right? You could look at this text. I, I phrased it the way the text does, but R raised us up. We are seated. We are saved. These are not uh, future terms. 
even though I'm talking about the future, right? There is glory in our future. We are raised, we are seated, we are saved. Because there's such confidence in what is being read here that it can be read as though it is happening right now. Because the promises of God tell us that we will be. So because it's, it's so positive that we will be, that we can just say we are. We don't just say we might be champions one day. No, we say we are champions in Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the victor. So we say we win. Right? We don't say maybe one day we will win. Maybe one day you'll get heaven. Maybe one day you'll get eternity with Christ. No, it's a promise. It's a guarantee. So we can speak of it as though it is happening right now. And then with all of that, we get to this last portion, these, these last several verses. I want you to hear this. We are one. There is a, a unity that happens for us in verses 11 through 21, where we are reminded that based on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is one in Christ. In fact, this, is, this continues on in chapter four. You talk about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all. This is unity in Christ. This is who we are. Oh, Colonial Heights, like we are one body of Christ. We aren't just united here for a short time. We are one for all eternity. And so when you think about the thousands of years in our past, the believers who right now are, are rejoicing over who Christ is in eternity. We think about the, the days of the future, and we think about people from every tribe and tongue and nation, we standing around the throne. We are one. who do not have hope without God. We were once far off without God. But with him, through Christ, we are one. This is why we say that our boast cannot be in ourselves. But our boast is in the cross. It's in the death and resurrection of Jesus, who is the Christ, the promised one. So obviously, music's about to be played, and we're about to sing a song, but I need you to hear me. For those of you who have never surrendered your life to Christ, and are now following the prince, the power of the air. You're following the ways of the world. You are dead in your trespasses. I'm pleading with you. Grace is being offered to you. Will you, by faith in Christ, receive that grace and receive the new life that is given in him for now and all eternity? Maybe you have questions about that. 
something stirring in you and you hey, I want to know more. I do know, maybe even you don't have questions. You just need to right now do that. Maybe you just want to let somebody know that I'm, I just did that. What's next? To my, to my left, there will be some in this room right here that would love to, to talk with you. Just answer questions or pray for you. Celebrate that decision with you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, then I, I plead with you. Boast in Christ. Boast in the cross, not in yourself. For you were dead. And by God's grace, he rescued you. So may your life, may my life, may our life be a reflection of the gift of grace that's been given to us. Would you stand with me now as we respond to the Lord?